Hello people and welcome to this week's episode of the Two Half Show. Joining me as always is Usama. Usama, how you been, my guy? You good? Yeah, man, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. It's good to have you back. And uh, as always, thank you guys for your support on the last episode uh, as we look to grow uh, in this early part of our journey. So thank you for, for listening and contributing. As we mentioned last week, next week, we will have the World Cup preview, which will be a big show. We will have a number of guests joining us as we look forward to the 2022 Qatar World Cup. The excitement is finally building up, so we look forward to that. But for now, as always, we bring you the latest news and debate from the world of sports, starting with football and Usama. Liverpool, a big one this week. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a massive topic to talk about, I think. Jurgen Klopp, Liverpool, discuss. Because, listen, Jurgen Klopp has been uh, incredible for Liverpool. He, he's been the manager you guys have craved for 30 years. He's come in, he's built not only a, a team, he's, he's built a, a legacy, he's built uh, players up, he's built a squad. And and I think this this season, for the first time, we are seeing his position questioned by Liverpool fans. It was the first time after the, the defeat against Leeds I've seen you know, people giving a reason why they won't clop out from from a Liverpool fan's perspective. So we want to break that down in, in detail, of course, but I, w- I want to take your kind of perspective first as a Liverpool fan after that result. What, what was your kind of th- first thought after that? Because obviously the second successive defeat leaves you ninth in the table, of course. The point differential isn't huge at this stage of the season, but what were your first thoughts? I think it's um, frustrating. Um, I think I was more disappointed with this performance than the one with Nottingham Forest. I think with Forest we created chances, but we weren't clinical enough. Whereas this one we were a bit lackluster. We didn't do anything that deserved us to win the game. We were moving the ball way too slow. And looking at how Liverpool usually press teams, we didn't really do that too much in this game. Yeah, it's kind of worrying as to where our spark will come from. And I think that's the biggest issue that Liverpool fans are worrying about right now. It feels like one one of the kind of the one of the consistent criticisms that Jurgen Klopp has faced through his whole career, even at Dortmund, um, has probably been one of the, the the issues that you've just highlighted, and that he his plan A is is incredible mm. when it works. Yeah, um, high tempo football, quick football. When when it works, it's a magnificent sight. However, when it doesn't work, that Leeds game for me, it was, it was, it was almost a case of Plan A didn't even start to work. Never mind it being stopped. Do you like? Do you think that's a fair criticism that there doesn't seem to be a Plan B? Because I think that I've not really seen much of a Plan B. I think except for a formation change where he plays two strikers up top, either Darwin or Firmino, or Firmino and Salah. There's not really been much of the way we play because they still get a lot of balls into the box from the fullbacks of Trent or Robertson. But I think it's worrying how this was always something that was in the back of most Liverpool fans. Number one being it's an aging squad. Now, in the summer, a lot of Liverpool fans, I'd say 80-90%, were expecting Liverpool to go out and actually put a good money in to actually revamp that midfield. Yeah, and, and I think that. even like non-Liverpool fans like me, for example, I always thought you guys were... I thought it was like 100% certain that you guys were going to sign a midfielder at some point. Yeah, I think Sadio Mane leaving 
was their biggest priority. Okay, we need to get a, a striker or a left winger. And I think that was the wrong mentality that they had of trying to replace him instead of trying to improve other areas of the pitch. Because within the last season that we had where we won two out of four competitions, you can tell our midfield is a bit leggy. Like once one or two players get injured, you don't really have standout players that can come in from squad squad players such as like Chamberlain or Curtis Jones. Certain players like them, they're, they're good enough to play for Liverpool, but for them to be squad players, maybe in the cup games, not in the Premier League. And I think it's worrying where they don't really have like a standout player where you can think... Rely upon. Yeah, like someone you can think, okay, you know what? Even though Thiago or Fabinho are not playing, I know full well that this certain specific player can do a job. Uh, and and uh, a player you mentioned that has come in for a lot of criticism, Fabinho. Yeah. Now, may- maybe a little bit of it is fair, but uh, uh, the point that you just mentioned for me is the biggest defense of Fabinho's form is that he was never the most mobile mobile of, of defensive midfielders. He always needed functional runners around him. And the lack of that, and kind of maybe the integration of players like Harvey Elliott, who are very attack-minded, has meant that he hasn't had that running ability around him, and that's probably what's kind of made him look a bit more vulnerable this season. Yeah, but do you blame that on Fabinho or Klopp? Is no, it no, I'm, 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 I'm not blaming Fabinho. I'm saying yeah. that Fabinho is... It sh- that's he's a defence yeah. of Fabinho. No, no, yeah, he's been caught a lot this year. And I think even he knows that he's not been on his best game throughout the year. I think maybe despite a couple of games, um, for example, like the City game where he was immense or uh, the one against Ajax midweek where I thought he did really well. The thing is, I can't really pinpoint one player. It's, it's a squad thing. Where, for example, even if you look at Virgil van Dijk, Oh man, he, that game was not good from him. Because obviously he's a brilliant player, exceptional in every aspect, but he's not really been talked about a lot where certain leaders within the squad, they should step up and take blame on themselves as well as a team. I think a lot of players should take account to how badly they're performing this year. And I think due to the lack of squad depth that we have at the moment due to injuries, it's kind of allowing them to carry on playing and they have no competition. There's to no kind replaced. of accountability or, yeah. or kind of uh, competition for their places to keep them going. Something we mentioned about Trent a couple of weeks, weeks ago. With with Van Dijk, I think well, what's interesting is the way he defends hasn't changed, you know, despite different situations. So, for example, the Somerville goal, yeah. you know, people make a lot of jokes about the whole never been dribbled past thing. But that was an example of it, that goal, as to why he was never dribbled past, but why it, you know, can be a negative and, and it kind of just shows his style of defending. And I think his style of defending was perfect before his major injury. But I think now he needs to kind of almost adapt a little bit where he, he maybe doesn't have the, the time that he used to when he used to jockey against players. Yeah. Jockey, you know, against Somerville, there was the wrong decision. He should have just gone for the ball. Uh, someone should have gone for the ball. And obviously he was, you know, one of the two around him. So, I, I, like you said, I think I think the the lack of competition is is definitely something. But I saw a, a friend of mine mentioned this over the weekend: is that he feels like the players either are just too tired at the moment of the way Klopp plays physically, yeah. or they've just stopped believing in in the way um, that Klopp wants to play. And kind of then, I don't want to say that he's lost the dressing room, but. Maybe there's a a, a a a you know a break in that connection, which happens with every club yeah. and every manager. To be fair, but 
do you which which of them do you think is more likely? Do you think it's more of a physical thing, or do you think it's more of a mental issue? I think it's more of a a fatigue thing, uh, rather than anything else. I think as pros would have it, they'd always have doubt in when they're not performing well or the team's not producing as best as they should. I think they need to look at themselves individually and as a team and collectively they need to come around and trying to figure out where these issues are coming from because like you said, I think I'd rather pin it, pinpoint it down towards the fatigue because it's happened before during his time in Borussia yeah. Dortmund. And but it's a seven and that's, that's for me the biggest story is that at Dortmund it was a seven-year cycle, and and then we saw this kind of season at Dortmund. But and now again in the seventh season at Liverpool, we're seeing the same thing. And and I th- I feel like the the problem is. Y- you you have to wait until next season to find out which of them it is. Yeah. But then it it'll be too late either way because. If it is a fatigue issue, and I I said this on a couple of episodes ago that the right decision would be to wait and see how next season goes. Yeah. And if it's the same pattern, then okay, there is a breakdown in communication somewhere. But if it doesn't, then it was just a case of it being fatigue and it just being a blip. But we've always had this blip beforehand where we had a lot of players that got injured during... Yeah, but the, that was more injury-based. Injury even this year, look, than now. our injury list is increasing. But the, I think the calibre of players who are injured are different at the moment, apart from Luis Diaz. I think you've still got Nambi Keita, who's a better backup option within the midfield area. You've got youngsters, for example, like Calvin Ramsey, that I've not even seen put on a shirt that could potentially, within the summer, that you've got hype that it could actually challenge Trent. Like, what yeah, and do I don't, for at least, you know, from the outside looking in, you know, Liverpool find themselves in a situation where they don't have the greatest owners, you know, that, that don't really put the investment in as they should similar to the Glazers but uh, at the same time I do think there are some things that Jurgen Klopp could do or could have done to kind of um, you know limit the the issues this season for me the the biggest kind of the biggest indicator is the Man City game and winning that game I think maybe covered some cracks but it was because of the way you had to approach the City game, where you had to hit them on the break. And I think uh, watching Liverpool this season reminds me of a lot of the issues I saw Man United had under Mourinho and Van Gaal, where we struggled to break down stronger, uh, weaker opponents uh, and performed fine in kind of the bigger games. But uh, Which is, has always been a strength of Liverpool, that they were always good against the weaker teams and maybe struggled in the big games. And this season is almost a reverse, so... For me, I think the right decision is probably to wait um, and see how the rest of the season goes. I still listen. I don't. Th- I don't think you guys are finishing ninth. You know. Do you know what I mean? Like there are definitely teams who are overperforming at the moment. So I think you guys will finish. I'll be honest with you. I think my pre-season predictions are going to be coming spot on. I think. I think you guys and Chelsea probably will get fifth and sixth. The question mark is where do you go if if obviously it doesn't work next season. And I think you've got a man available at the moment who might work in Tuchel. Will he still be available? Then is the question mark. Uh, personally, for me, I think the board now realise that, I think looking over the comments that were said during the summer by Klopp, he came out with comments stating that the board themselves should kind of take more risk within the market. And I think that's a little hint to Liverpool fans maybe suggesting that he did ask for a midfielder. And I think they were linked with Tuchel many. 
uh, of Real Madrid before he went there. And I think for them to even say no to... I don't think that was the case of them saying no, to be honest with you, because I think that money got reallocated to Darwin Nunes. I think that was probably a case of Chermeni choosing to to go to Madrid. As a Liverpool fan, you knew from the start of the season that we needed a midfielder. And midfielders always get injured, whether it's due to fatigue or Klopp expecting too much of them and them running them legs off. Honestly, I'm not too sure. And the thing is, it's worrying. Let me draw you a scenario. The the player that's been linked with your midfield for the longest time, Jude Bellingham, do yeah. you think he signs if you guys don't make Champions League? I don't think he's going to sign in January. And in, in the summer. In the I summer, mean. I would be surprised if it comes... Because you've got Real Madrid calling him over. Yeah, I've got a feeling now, it's going to be Madrid. I would go Madrid if yeah, I was going to Yeah, I think honest. realistically, he would love to go Madrid because you've got the likes of Camavinga, um, Valverde and Modric and Cruz who are there to teach him and nurse him to get into the Real Madrid team. And what better, even as a Liverpool fan, than go to a more prestige club that has chances of winning the Champions League. They've got really good chances of La Liga. And the, he's playing with elite players within each position. Yeah, and, and, it's a and he's, got, he's got a core that, that, that he can grow within Chiamani, Amavinga and Valverde, to be honest with you. It'll be an interesting one to see. Of course, we'll probably end up revisiting this at some point in the season. I'm thinking that we may have to dedicate an episode uh, to the Liverpool subject down the line. Um, uh, with, I'm inviting a couple of uh, Liverpool fans on, including yourself, of course, to, to discuss it in, in more detail. Uh, we'll leave that there for now, but we will talk about a team that Liverpool are playing tomorrow, and yep. that is Napoli. Now, again, fantastic win for Napoli over the weekend, beating Sassuolo 4-0. Awesome hen with a hat-trick. In my opinion, I want your take on this. In my opinion, and I mentioned it a couple of episodes ago, but in my opinion, the best team in the world right now are Napoli. Uh, I've got to agree to disagree. I think they're, they're up there. I do top three within the world. I think the record states the 17 undefeated games throughout the season. They've got Yeah, 17, 17 games, 15 wins, they're 50 goals scored crazy yeah they're looking like a a really good side and i think even watching them in the first game of the champions league they look really clinical going forward and looking at their defense they're kind of compact and you don't see them giving away stupid goals or stupid sloppy passes where they're at risk of conceding goals yeah no absolutely and of course they're you know they are five points clear at the top of Serie A. you know to give context now this is where the premier league as we mentioned in terms of competitiveness, it is something else, you know. The Premier League, I think, between second and, and fifth, there is six points, uh, eight points from the top. And Napoli are five points clear already of second. Uh, I, the scenes, if they win the league there, are, are going to be incredible. And yeah. I think they are the neutrals team this season. They are someone who a lot of a lot of people are rooting for just because they, they seem so likeable and, and kind of they bring the intensity but they also bring the the, the, the nice joy. football. They yeah. score goals for fun, and uh, you know there, there's been a number of standout players. For you, who's who's the clear and obvious kind of standout uh, player for them this season? Uh, I think for me, I have to go with Ozim. And I think he's absolutely been phenomenal since he's come back from his injury. You can tell they missed him uh, last year, and I think he's come back and he's proven a point as to he could be the best number nine in Syria at the moment. And I think I, yeah, I, th- I think to be honest with you, most people would agree with that. I think I he's, think he probably he, is the best number nine in, in Syria. He's provided everything: pace, power, 
And he's clinical in front of goal. He creates chances for his teammates. And he's an absolute menace to play against. And you can tell by them on the weekend, he's just an absolute machine. Yeah, listen, he, he scores goals for fun. And, and, and with Osimhen, I think a lot of people saw his ability for, for a long time. And that's why, for me, the standout has probably been Kvarat Scalia for me. He's, he's, he's been someone who Syria kind of watchers probably saw coming. But for the majority of, of football fans, they probably haven't kind of seen him, him come in. And, and to be fair, his impact, he's been I don't insane. think a lot of people would have expected no. that generally, to be honest with you. Yeah. He's been absolutely incredible. He's, he's a winger that a lot of people just love to watch. He's someone who's, who's got pace. He's got absolute ton of skill. He's an elite dribbler. Yeah. And, and he, he creates goals for fun. Uh, over the weekend, of course, he grabbed two, two assists to Osimhen and, and, and a goal for himself as well. And he, he's just been phenomenal in the way he's burst onto the scene. And I, I think he's someone to look out, look out for going forward in terms of bigger clubs wanting to fish around yeah. for, for a left winger because he has been incredible. Another player, and I'm only going to mention him in name because I'm going to go into detail about him <laughs> in a future episode, but Kim Jae-min from South Korea at centre-back. An absolute colossus. Yeah. Um, uh, and a bit more on him in future episodes. But the whole team generally has, has been incredible. Anguisa, do you know what I mean? Like From a foreign in, reject. Exactly. So in the Premier in League, the stage, yeah. didn't didn't kind of perform but has gone to, to Napoli and has been incredible for them in that midfield. They're, like I said, they're a team that everyone kind of loves to root for. And I would love for them to win Serie A. Listen, we, we said that a Serie A team could make a run in the Champions League and it could be them. I think... It could uh, be them. Yeah, it's either them or AC Milan for me. I think, like you said with Kim, I think he's been a massive replacement for Koulibaly. The teams benefit from it. And yeah, man, hopefully it's an interesting season within Syria and they can push for Our final kind of football story is a piece of news that's come out today and it's an interesting story for a lot of people and that is the fantastic reporting from David Onstein from The Athletic that Enter Miami believe that they have a strong chance of signing Lionel Messi following his PSG contract uh, finishing. Now, Inter Miami, when they first got founded by David Beckham, there was an amazing level of hype about the the level of names that he can bring to to the MLS, and you know there was instantly calls for Neymar and Ronaldo and and Messi, of course. And uh, I think this would be a massive move for that league yeah. to have you know one of the two greatest players ever to play the game. Some people having the greatest ever to to move to to the MLS, and it'll probably give the league uh, uh, an injection of interest for sure. You know, the the viewership is going to go through the roof, of course. But what does that kind of tell you about Messi? That he's kind of at the age of thirty five, thirty six next season, of course. That he's kind of almost done with European league. European football, and and he's happy to go to to the MLS. And of course. We know his long-term vision. He wants to, to play for Newell Old Boys um, before he retires. But what do you think? What do you make of him making the move at, at that age? I still think, um, personally for myself, I'd be disappointed if he does go. I still think he has a lot to offer in terms of providing assists and goals within European leagues. And I think he's proven that this season within the, a really good PSG team where he's the first player within top five European leagues to get 10 goals and 10 assists. And... Yeah, I think for him to not kind of throw it away, but kind of just to ruin his legacy by going to... No, I don't think he's going to ruin his legacy. I think that's a bit of a stretch. I wouldn't say ruin, but I think it's more 
disappointed why you see Ronaldo at the age of 37 still performing or trying to perform within one of the toughest leagues within the world. And Messi kind of just going for like a payout in the MLS where you still think he can do well within PSG and he still has a renewal for the season after. Or even go back to Barcelona and yeah, that, kind that's of showcase his talent. Listen, with this, with this potential move, I look at it from, from two points of view. I look at it from a legacy point of view. I don't think this affects his legacy one bit. I think, you know, the people who think Messi is the greatest will continue to think Messi is the greatest. Barcelona fans will continue to look at him as their best ever. Okay. Yeah. But from another point of view, as a fan, you're right. It is a little bit disappointing that with his ability, players like him and Ronaldo, you know, whatever my opinion is on Ronaldo, the fact is he's still a a top league, Champions League level player that has still a lot to offer to the top level game. The MLS, okay, it's a growing league and so on, but it is nowhere near the level of of the, the Premier League or the Serie A or La Liga and so on, even the French League, even though it is, of course, weaker than the rest. For me, I always thought it was a given that he was going to go back to Barcelona. Yeah, I'd, I'd love him to go back because look at the team now that he has. Yeah, he won't even... He'll be he carried to, yeah, to winning exactly. trophies. He, he won't even need to kind of do much at that age and he'll he, still be carried. I think you're right. He's got players in each position where they can already thrive and you've got the likes of Dembele and Lewandowski where you already can tell that players running behind Lewandowski holding up the ball. It's kind of suited for him to come back and kind of maybe either challenge for a Champions League or even La Liga again. And I think a lot of Barca fans would love to have him back. I can I can understand his move from a personal point of view. In his opinion, he feels like he's achieved everything and he has, Which he has he's yeah. achieved everything so th- for him it's like why do i have to choose this when i can go to somewhere in miami where it's life is going to be great life. for him uh, there's a massive argentinian and spanish-speaking contingent there and he's going to probably be paid a crazy amount of money by into miami so i can understand it from his point of view he is choosing he would be choosing lifestyle however for me i don't think it's a hundred percent guaranteed that this move happens i think a large part of it comes down to what happens in the World Cup. Yeah. And that's why when you read the report, you can tell that there's no big decision been made. It's kind of, a, oh yeah, there's conversations over months. I think if he wins the World Cup with Argentina, I think he probably does make the move to into Miami and call it a day kind of at the top level. I think, however, if Argentina don't win the World Cup, I think then he probably moves on to go back to Barcelona for a season. I think. Do you think it's as football fans being greedy and selfish and wanting to him and wanting him to carry on and showcase in of his ability? Of course, abilities? it is. Of course, it is because, like I said, from from his point of view, he's achieved everything. Yeah. And there's no reason for him to kind of carry on at the top level. Um, so it's fully understandable if he doesn't. And if if he chooses to do that, then, like I said, the MLS is the better for it. There will be a huge and uh, uh, increase in the viewership and. We'll have the Messi fans trying to push the agenda that the MLS is a good league once that happens yeah. to try and you know maintain him yeah. his name in Ballon d'Or mm. discussions. That's not going to happen. Like yeah. that will kind of be the end of that for Messi if he does make the move. Mm. But uh, in terms of a legacy and career, no one can argue that that he is you know him or Ronaldo, whichever order you guys want to put them in, first or second, put them in. But he isn't in that conversation status, in the yeah. first or second goat status conversation. Before we kind of move on from the, the football talk, 
Uh, I want to give a big shout out to to Max Rashford hitting his 100th uh, Manchester United goal yesterday. And I I think with this, I kind of want to spend some time and kind of put perspective on on, on a couple of things because I feel like in modern football, when we're in the midst of players' careers um, and we look at the milestones they hit and the numbers they hit, we kind of don't realise how momentous and and huge they are until, until afterwards. Max Rashford has scored 100 career goals for Manchester United after that goal against West Ham yesterday. He's done that, uh, averaging uh, 0.43 goals per 90 minutes, which is phenomenal for a a left winger. But for me, this is what puts it in perspective. The best ever Manchester United player, in my opinion, Wayne Rooney, hit 100 goals, and he's my favourite United player ever, Wayne Rooney, hit 100 goals at the same age as Marcus Rashford, 24. Wayne Rooney, however... Did it in arguably the best United team ever. Under the greatest football manager ever. With having world-class players around him and going far into European and uh, domestic competitions, winning everything. Max Rashford has done the same feat playing on the wing for uh, Manchester United teams who do not compare in quality to, to that Manchester United team that Wayne Rooney was a part of. Uh, and he's been almost the the leader in in all of this. And he had a bad season last season, and he'd be the first to admit that. But that, for me, makes it even more impressive that he had a bad season, and he still hit a landmark 100 goals at the same age as Wayne Rooney did, with Wayne Rooney not having a bad season up until that point. We need to appreciate players more while they're still around. Um, And that goes for Manchester United fans, in the case of Marcus Rashford who is United's top scorer this season and top sister. And on a wider context as well, we need to kind of appreciate players more while they're still playing and kind of slander them less uh, than we usually see all over social media, as we kind of currently do. The NBA, obviously, another week down. We've seen the stars that we mentioned last week continue to shine. You know, Milwaukee... Played a few more games now. The only team at 5-0, and the only undefeated team. Yanis taking over the league, making sure that people know he's he's the best around. Some strange, strange occurrences, though. You've seen teams that want to be bad be good, and teams want to be good be bad, which is so weird, because like you see the Utah Jazz, who have kind of accidentally come upon a good squad, a squad that's sitting at the moment fourth, in in the West with a record of five and two, and and they they're trying to tank. They're trying to go for Victor Wembanyama. A reminder: they're not trying to win this season. And then you have teams who want to win, like the Lakers and the Nets, who <laughs> are both one and five, the yeah. total opposite, and, and and not performing and not winning. Um, it's a very interesting dynamic this season in the NBA. Um, for me, I, what I want to start with Osama is uh the Lakers now. The Lakers started off to a very poor start, yeah. 0-5. They got their first win last night, um, courtesy of a win over the Nuggets. And the issues for them seem to stem from the lack of shooters in the team. We've seen Russ get blamed for 90% of that. Fairly or unfairly, I personally think it is a little bit over the top, but... Russ has to hold some of the blame, especially for the shot that he took last week when, you know, 
when they were leading and and they just needed to slow the game down yeah. against uh, the Trailblazers. Yeah. So he does need to take a little bit of blame. But um, ever since last week, they've they've experimented with this thing of bringing him off the bench. Didn't work in the first game. He scored 18 points, but they still lost. And last night, he came off the bench, gave them 18 points, and they came away with the win. Yeah. Samuel, what do you think the solution is here? Because Russell Westbrook is an incredible player, but they need they need to trade for shooters. And the the only asset they have, obviously, apart from LeBron and AD, is Russ. Where do you think they should go? Do you think they should trade Russ and try and win still? Or do you think that there's another way to go about things? Uh, I, personally, I don't think there's another way to do this. I think I've said this throughout the summer that I think the pressure has, I believe, has got to Russ. And you can see by his shots in terms of mid threes and he's just air balls where you think Russ at his time in previous teams, I think he's just an easy shot. But now I don't know whether it's the pressure, whether he can't hand, handle the big moments, but he's not looking the same player that he was a couple of years ago. And Do you think so though? Because I think at the time, a lot of people probably thought that they, they should have gone in for, for more shooters. Do you think Russ right now in 2022 though, has to be traded because we we talked about it pre-season and they haven't done anything and it's I don't know whether they don't see a problem or they just don't have a solution I think whether I think you're right in the sense of they're not that if they do trade him who are they going to rely on and secondly is that do they take the risk of trading him and having a worse season and Russ coming out as yeah you've kind of taken me as a scapegoat throughout the year and the issue is not me it's throughout the whole team and I think that's what the media is trying to portray right now. And them even asking or trying to lead LeBron into them kind of questions. It's kind of worrying for him because he's got no no support, whether in the team or outside the team. I think the team is supporting him. I, I, I do think that, listen, I'm I'm actually starting to lean a bit more to, to an idea that Stephen A said uh, in the middle of the summer. And a lot of people left out at the time, but a lot of people are thinking it's true now because... Your first, your your option is the option that's been around for months now, is to trade Russell Westbrook to the Pacers, okay, give them your picks, and get Buddy Hield back for the for the shooting, okay. Now that that sh- that solves the shooting problem, but then the question is, is Buddy Hield enough to take them from no. a playing team to a challenging team? No, it's it make, he confirms them as a playoff team for me, but he doesn't take them to a contending team. Of course not. The bigger issue for me is AD because AD was painted as the person who was who's going to take hold of this team. This was going to be AD's team, not LeBron's team after a year or two and he's going to be the the Lakers answer to Giannis. Yeah. And when they won the championship a lot of people were saying that a lot of people were putting him on the level with Giannis and AD this season has not been performing and didn't last season as well. And of course, he's had his injury worries. But AD has been a disappointment so far considering what they've given up for him. I think you're right in the potential that he has. I think he should be a top five player. And that's the main problem that he isn't. I think if you look at him, his efficiency for mid-range is poor. And you've got to kind of question him whether his plays have been good or... Just whether it's the injury factor that he keeps getting injured, he can't get a really good, a consistent run of games, whether that's having an impact on him or not. Because yeah. I do think like you're right. And either way, either way, it's not good enough for them. Yeah, because... The best, of, the best of the ability is availability. And it, it's going to get to the point with the Lakers where do we just end this experiment 
trade LeBron, trade AD, trade Russ, trade them all and get picks back and start fresh? Or are you just going to kind of continue in this cycle of mediocrity? Because the danger for me with trading Russ for Buddy Heald is that you get rid of the picks that you do have and then Buddy Heald becomes your only tradable asset alongside AD probably. LeBron, Mm. you're not going to get a lot back considering his age. And and LeBron started the season off phenomenally, but he started to kind of show his age as as we've we've gone along it's going to be a long season for lake nation that's for sure and uh we'll, we'll keep you updated guys we want to of course we don't want to be that show that focuses on the lakers every week and doesn't give the other teams the airtime because that too much of that happens elsewhere so uh, of course the more they struggle the the less we will probably talk about them and and the more we will give the spotlight to teams like the bucks uh, and portland and so on on the other side on the east we have a similar issue, but in a very different dynamic. And that's the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah. Also 1-5. on five. Didn't start 0-5, uh, but boy, they've got issues as well. Yeah, I think, like you said... It's almost the the, the opposite of, of the Lakers' issues, is that they've got an amazing offense. They've got the two best shooters in the game. But the again, the problem is no defense whatsoever. A lack of coaching on the defense and a little bit on the offense and Ben Simmons continues to be an issue for them uh, he hasn't played for two years so there's a level of being fair or unfair on, on Ben but at the same time when you're part of a big three when you're part of a team that everyone wants to to compete and of course it's a long season and so on but you have to show it straight away especially when the team has had question marks around it for all all summer and, and, and the whole of last season as well. You have to perform. And KD, Kyrie have been putting up the numbers on the, on the offensive side. Defensively, they haven't. Defensively, they're 30th in defensive rating. Exactly. It and just shows how th- that's what they I'm are. Showing. They're, showing, they're showing a lack of ability to, to, to shut teams down. And when you do that, it doesn't matter how much you score. And we saw it in the Mavs game, for example, where, yes, they, you know, they were scoring for fun, but... When you come up up against the Mavs, who are also going to score for fun, it doesn't matter when your defense is that bad. And for them, it's a completely different set of issues. Where do you think the solution is? Because with them, they're not going to be trading anyone. No. Uh, the only solution I can see is the replacement of Steve Nash as coach. Yeah. But the the options aren't great out there at the moment. Uh, personally, I don't think they're... It's, it's, it's not a quick fix. I think for me, I think looking at the team and looking at how they've set up this year... One and five, I don't think anyone would have expected that going into the season. And to even think about them defensively being one of the worst teams in the league, it's appalling because they're not the best going forward as well because they're, f- they're 25th in three-point conversions percentage-wise. And that's not even going well. And then you look at their rebounds, 29th. So yeah, which shows a lack of desire for me in in the... In the, in the in the number of rebounds they're getting, which is always a good measure for that. And say what you want about Russ, for example, the lack of shooting and, and so on, the lack of defense on him, but he's always going to fight for them rebounds. Maybe it is just a stat mm. pad, but it still matters to the team. And the lack of rebounding for sure is a sign of, of a lack of determination, of a lack of willingness to kind of fight for, for your team. And with them, I do feel it's more mental than it is physical. But do you think Ben Simmons is the answer? Because I think looking at the, the game where you see Kyrie get frustrated saying, shoot, Ben, shoot. And you're looking at him like, you know for one, he's not a shooter. And 
he has attributes to be one of the best, but everyone he knew he from, from his game, he doesn't shoot. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't and take the most of his own attributes. He, he kind of puts pressure on Kyrie and KD Absolutely. again for being the shooters in the team. Yeah, he's running away from the grind, isn't it? And, and listen, like, you have to consider the contract he has. Yeah. He has a huge contract, and what are they getting out of it? Six, six and seven? Really? They might have to kind of trade for a no. couple of defensive players, but we'll see. We'll see how how it goes how how it goes from there, and 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 we'll bring you more, of course, next week. Uh, to end, I'm not going to spend too much on this. Just a, a minute or two, um, because it has been a quiet week in, in the NFL. But Osama, your boy, your new boy, Christian McCaffrey, last night for your for your 49ers, was not messing around, was he? No, 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 he wasn't, man. Like. No, no, I don't think he was, man. I think he put an absolute elite performance in. I think there was a record that he broke yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the one you're talking about. He uh, he had a rushing touchdown, a passing touchdown, a receiving touchdown against the Rams yesterday, didn't he? Uh, I think the first player to do so in 17 years, which is absolutely incredible. Nuts. Yeah. Um, Listen, that's what he gives you. He gives you versatility. The passing touchdown was a trick play, of course, but th- that's what Christian McCaffrey gives you. And the 49ers have just gone from having the best squad to having an even even stronger uh, offense with him. Jimmy G has no excuses, I think, like we mentioned last week. And he's definitely was the standout player uh, this week. We also saw, of course, the, the Philadelphia Eagles go on to 7-0. Uh, Jalen Hurts probably had his best game of the season. Uh, they look absolutely phenomenal. They're growing week on week. Uh, so the, the NFC is looking more and more interesting, if not as strong as the AFC. In terms of in terms of competitiveness, so that'll be something to to look forward to, guys. Uh, as always, thank you for joining us for for the two half show. As always, uh, as we mentioned, next week we will be bringing you a World Cup special where we preview the runners and riders at the Qatar World Cup, our predictions, expectations, and more. Osama, thank you for joining me as always, my friend. Oh, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you, guys, and th- again, thank you guys for listening. Have an amazing week uh, and until next time, keep it locked.